It's good to be here. Like uh, Pastor Steve said, I'm Dan. I'm the Director of Reconciliation Ministries. And Reconciliation Ministries is a ministry that helps men, women, and adolescents overcome a wide variety of sexual sin and struggle and relationship issues and trauma. And so I have the blessed privilege of seeing the Holy Spirit touch hearts at work every day. And it's so neat because there is nobody that is so messed up that, that God just can't reach with. No one. And as one of our brothers shared, there's nothing we can do to make God not like us anymore. He will reach out to us. He'll move out to us. So we do have some information back there by the missions table. And we are one of the local missions that Christ Community Church um, supports. And I thank you for that. And so it's not, it's not Dan and the leadership team touching hearts. It's all of you through your support touching hearts, literally changing lives for eternity. I couldn't have made it. I came in, you'll hear my story. I came in gasping for breath to Reconciliation Ministries about 1999, about ready to give up. And so your support of of the ministry has changed lives. It's changed my life. It continues to do a work. So thank you for touching hearts in Metro Detroit, in southeastern Michigan, in different places around the world. And, And you guys have a deep, deep inheritance in some precious people's lives. So I thank you for that. I want to start with a scripture. This is really one of my favorite scriptures. Now, everyone that teaches has a gazillion favorite scriptures. This is really like in my top five, if if not the top one or two. And and you'll hear both of the the, the top two ones here tonight. But I love this. This was Jesus reading in the synagogue really what, what God the Father was putting forth through his heart. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are captive, or set at liberty to those who are oppressed. And the reason why I love this is this is Jesus saying, this is is one of the main reasons I'm here, to heal the brokenhearted. And in the original language, that term brokenhearted is like shards of glass as if you broke a mirror, shattered in pieces. And that is so many of our hearts, shattered by trauma, shattered by life, shattered by sin, sometimes shattered by sins we've committed, and sometimes shattered by the sins that we didn't really have anything to do with other than somebody sinned against us. And they trashed our heart, they hurt our heart. And I want to share with you tonight my story to help you see if God can, if God can heal me, he can heal you. I was a kid in high school, I had two friends. One was going to a, a religious college after graduation. The other one was just kind of doing life. But they would talk about Jesus a lot. I was a guy in the back seat of the car in high school. I thought, you know, could you guys talk about something interesting? I mean, crying out loud, we just saw some movies. Let's talk about those. And really didn't have much interest in God. because I, I was ticked at him. We'll, we'll hear about that. So if God can reach in and touch Dan's life, who really didn't care with him about God, it was really kind of done with God. God can reach you. And we were blessed to have Steve Fair here uh, a few weeks ago. He, he has that book, um, Journey Through the Divided Heart. And a lot of what I teach is also what Steve teaches. We have a lot of similarities, different bells and whistles, but a lot of similarities as well. And I wanted to share my story to give you kind of a practical application. What's this Journey Through the Divided Heart look like in the life of someone else? You know, it's, it's really hard as we're reading through a book like that to see what's it look like in my life, because I'm in the middle of this battle, and I can't see much of anything very uh, carefully, and, and I'm in freak-out mode. So uh, I'll share my story of freaking out so that you guys can see, okay, 
I'm not freaking out tonight. Dan was. He's sharing this story. This is what it looks like. But the most important thing is this is how the Holy Spirit reached down into Dan's heart, into his soul, and took those shards of glass and put them back together because only the Holy Spirit can do that. And it's such a precious thing. And he wants to do that in each one of your hearts tonight. And, and, and life is rough. As Ed Smith, one of the, the founders of a prayer ministry type, uh, says, life is rough. No one makes it out of here alive. I mean, it, it's going to get all of us sooner or later. And if you look at the stats of abuse, stats of abuse say that as high as one out of four females have been abused by the time they're 18. And as, as many as one in six males have been abused by the time they're 18. And that's heavy. So if you can't really wrap your head around that, I mean, like, that seems like a lot. Okay, let's kick it to one in eight. Or even one in ten. Just, just for sake of, of thinking about it. But if you look around this room, that's a lot of us in this room. So before I really jump more into this, I want to pray. There are times when we look at topics and we need to, but sometimes it's kind of like taking a little scab off of our heart, and it can be kind of intense. So I want to pray tonight as I'm sharing my story that the Holy Spirit will kind of give us this Holy Spirit bubble wrap to kind of carry us in his arms, to hold us in his presence so that, okay, even if some of my scabs get jiggled a little bit, I know the Holy Spirit's here. And I want to leave you with hope. If you've got issues, if, if you're one of the one in four, one of the one in six, I want to leave you with hope that Jesus Christ can restore all that the moth and the cankerworm have eaten. He can restore everything the devil tried to kill because you know what? He couldn't kill us. We're still here. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, I do pray for this. Lord, that you would kind of give us your Holy Spirit bubble wrap tonight. Father, as I share my story, it may trigger some of us. It may push buttons in some of us. It might, it might bring us to some of our very dark moments. So, Lord, as it does, I pray that we would have your presence, that we would have your beautiful anointing, that we would have your beautiful grace to carry us through, to walk with us, and to help us, God, to not be discouraged by this, but to be encouraged that you can change anyone's heart. And we thank you, God. Well, I was the last kid out of five born to a paranoid schizophrenic mom who was dangerous and got progressively worse as the years went on, and a really, really tired father. And it was interesting because, you know what I heard growing up? Yeah, Dan, boy, I'll tell you what. Once, once mom was born, she, once, once you were born, Dan, she got a lot worse. Oh, once I was born, my paranoid schizophrenic demonic mom got worse. Thank you. That news really encourages me. You know, you know, sarcasm, by the way, is my second language. I'm kind of trying to recover from it. But, you know, it's, it's a defense, of course, right? We, we got to just get away from that pain somehow. But, you know, when I would hear that, I would just, a part of my heart would die. I would just go a little bit darker. Yeah, okay, my existence made my mom crazier. Thank you for that information. And for a while, um, does this have a laser? Hey, there's all sorts of good toys and buttons on this thing. For a while, my earliest memory was looking out that very window and just looking, you know, preschool and seeing my brother and a bunch of kids get on the school bus. And with it, I'm home, and they're all getting on the school bus. They're going, 
I, I'm not good enough to go to school. And you know, that's one of those examples. Kids are great sponges of information, but they're really poor, unskilled interpreters of that information. And the devil was right there. Yeah, you, you are right. You are such a loser. You are not good enough to go to school. That's why they're keeping you home. In my heart, it went darker. Yeah, you're right. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You know, that filtered my worldview because when you believe you're not good enough, you act not good enough. You start doing things to people that really convinces them, man, you're right. You really aren't good enough. You're kind of an annoying little kid. And we, we kind of create some of our own problems. You know, there are little things to have fun in when you're a kid, right? I mean, we can't do much, but we can have fun in bath time. Because we can get boats, and we can play, and we can make waves and splash them all over the bathtub. I'll clean it up. And we can have a lot of fun in the bathtub. We can even get army men and line them up on the side of the bathtub. And we can score them, and we can shoot them off the edge of the bathtub. Except there was one day that my mom came in. And all of a sudden, that bath time wasn't so much fun anymore. And the abuse happened. There was another day the abuse happened in the bathtub. So that bathtub became a very unsafe place for me. That place that should have made me clean became that place just through the dirt on me. And my heart just sank a little bit more. But we got dad. Dad's okay. He's, he, he's kind of tired and kind of grumpy. He can multitask. He can work the TV and read his newspaper at the same time. But it's so cool. When you're a little kid watching dad shave, it is like the coolest thing. And, you know, I remember one time he had the shaving cream on half of his face, and he was using those razors to, to shave the face off a horse. And he's shaving. And I'm asking him all these questions about shaving, and I wish I could shave. How old will I be when I shave? And what are you doing? You say, where's the whiskers go? What, what's happening to all that white stuff that used to be on your face? And he looked at me and said, would you be quiet? Would you stop asking me so many questions before I turn into a monster again? Again. You, you said turn into a monster again. You know, I don't know what's going to happen if you turn into a monster. It's not going to be good. So I, I, just, I just need to go away. I just need to not be here. And then everything will be fine. Where am I going to go? I live in this house. Dad lives in this house. Mom lives in but I went away. And I think some of you can relate to that. Let's just go away. So I went away. So life goes on. Elementary school comes in. Somehow I got into school. You know, even though I wasn't good enough to go to school, somehow I finally got there. But by the time I, liked, I went there, I did a pretty good job imitating Mr. Spock. Because, you know, when, when you keep turning your heart off, there's not much left on the surface, is there? But what happens when you go to school as a kid like that? You know, especially back in the, in the 60s, they, they didn't have school counselors like the way they do now. They didn't have whatever. And it was like, hey, you need to be cheerful. You need to be happy. What's that? And I remember, you know, thinking, okay, somehow I got into school, but at least I'm here. And then sports time came up. Guys, I can't tell you how happy I am that I am old enough to not feel obligated to play church baseball. I, it's not a good idea to have the last name of hits when you don't have any skill playing baseball. I've heard many comments, many, many, many. But back in the day, they would get the two, you know, like kids that went through 
puberty in, in first grade to be the team captains. And so they'd have these big, tough kids up there in first grade with the beards. Um, I'll pick him and him. I hope they pick me. And I'll pick him and him. And, like, they're picking all these boys. I'm still up there. And then they would start on the girls. I'll pick her and her and her. And I'll take the girl in the iron lung. You can have the kid in the body cast. Oh, we got Dan. So not only am I not really good enough to go to school, I'm not one of the boys. I'm really, really not even one of the kids, except they're, you know, it does something in a little boy's heart to get picked after the girls and to be complained about when you walk up there. So I know how to deal with that, right? You just shut off more of your heart. Make it go dark. If we make it go dark, it won't hurt so much. So not even, not even a place among my peers. And sixth grade came up. You know, we were raised in the church, so I knew right from wrong. So when sixth grade happens and the hormonal flood starts happening, I knew, hey, I'm supposed to like the, the girls. But I got a problem here. I, I like the boys. And that's not good. Because I went to school, it would be probably the equivalent of going to school in Heartland or something out here, like, you know, kind of way in the middle of nowhere, kind of half farming. And there's a bunch of really tough kids. There was one effeminate kid in my high school named Twitch, and I thought, I sure as heck am not going to be Twitch Jr. And I like the boys, and this is scary. And something else really, really scary happened in, in junior high school. The abuse started up again. It started up again. Things, things kind of like, seem like they got normal. The abuse starts up again. What am I supposed to do? Well, I, I'm turning off my heart, but I started kind of like trusting her. And you, you know what? I'm going to make a decision that no one will ever get close enough to hurt me again. No. No one. I don't care if i got to talk to her. I don't care if i got to exist with people. But I will tell you right now in my heart, no one will get close enough because no one is safe. And I read that scripture about Jesus coming to heal the broken hearts. I'll tell you right at that point, the abuse started off at one level, went through four progressive stages, and got ugly. And my heart was shattered. My heart was broken. And my heart was buried because this hurts so much, I don't even want to face it. I am going to find a place to put this where even God himself doesn't know it exists. I'm going to pack it up. And ain't no one going to go there. You know, ain't no one even going to go there. Not even me. I will not go into that part of my heart ever again. But life goes on, right? I learned how to smile at that point. We have to fake it, right? We have to go through. Because if our abuser sees that we're looking sad, then we run the risk of getting pummeled because we're looking sad and somebody might put two and two together. So we learn to smile. Got into high school, learned to smile, learned how to have big hair as well. And I found out even more, as a hormonal tsunami is kicking up again with puberty going on, not only do I like the boys, I really, 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 really liked the boys. I got a problem. And I saw what they did to that one kid. So I think I kind of talked and walked like a robot because I will not act effeminate because I do not want to be messed up with. 
And it was, it was shutting down more and more of my heart. And I did find a place in high school, thank God, for the theater. Thank God for radio and TV class. I'll date myself. It was cool because we had a portable, reel-to-reel, black-and-white video recorder that we could hook up a separate camera to. We didn't have a camcorder back then. It wasn't even thought of. But it was black-and-white, reel-to-reel. And I could make a pretend world on video. And then I could get my script, and I could have my pretend world via script, and I could just go away all the more. I just go somewhere where, where no one knows the real me. I'm just I'm reading out of a book. You know what's cool? You guys are my friends. Like Derek said on Sunday, it's kind of like nerve-wracking, you know, speaking and, and being a Christian with your family. You all are my family. And you're getting the real me. And I feel loved and accepted. And if God can take somebody from where I was and bring them here, where I can be real up here in front of you, he can do that for you too. I don't know where you're at. But if you're struggling, if you're in pain, don't give up. You hold on. I wish I could say it will instantly get better. It didn't. It got really, really ugly for me. The abuse got worse, and at one point it was hideous, and I finally stopped it. And I remember my mother doing this really nasty, demonic taunt. I conquered you already. It doesn't matter. And I just felt like my soul died. There is nothing much left to shut off in my heart. And and, and we think we shut off our heart. We think we don't have feelings. It's like a volcano inside. But we can't even acknowledge it. So we have this internal pressure that we can't acknowledge, and we're trying to breathe, and it's really tough to breathe. And we go on. But something in us dies. Something in us goes away. And then it amped up again. And I I call it the kitchen scene. It's, It's probably one of the most traumatic moments of my life. Mom was in the middle of a really bad, demonic, psychotic break. And look, it's a mental health issue. We're spirit, soul, body beings. I'm telling you, I've seen the demonic act through my mom. And it was back. And, and we were in there. She was in the middle of a scream festival. And she was in the middle of one of her things. And, and, and I thought she communicated that she was going to start the abuse all up again. I, I can't hold this down anymore. And I erupted. And I went nuts. I, I, I just screamed in a panic and ran through the house. And by God's grace, my dad was able to quiet us both down. But I came out of that thing with a bunch of strongholds made. One is, I will never get married. Because if my wife ever does to me what my mom has done to my dad, notice it's not aimed at me, it's aimed away, because I can't let it be aimed at me. But if my, mom does, if my wife ever does to me what my mom has done to my dad, I will be the one in the psych ward. And, and, and I know I had same-sex attractions. I know I was, I was liking the boys. I wanted to be different. People don't ask to be gay. They don't ask for same-sex attraction. They don't ask for these things. It, it happens, and we're responsible for it before God, how we respond to those temptations. But it was there. But I, I, at one point before this happened, I wanted to be normal. But after that, no, I, I can't risk it. Because life in that realm is just too dangerous. A couple other strongholds, and sorry, ladies, I don't believe this anymore. But I thought, all ladies are psycho chicks. Run. Get out of here. Run. I was terrified of y'all. I'm not anymore, but I sure was for a long period of time. Women aren't safe, and I need somebody to be safe. I, I desperately 
was longing for a safe place. So I decided that all men are safe. I can remember sitting on the school bus, riding to school, thinking, women aren't safe. I need someone safe. Men. Yeah, all men are safe. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, my buddy Ron, his dad's mentally ill too. So I knew all men were not safe. I don't care. I have to create a world where I'm safe. So all men are safe. It's kind of like Romans chapter 1, choosing to believe a lie. And that's in the realm of sin. But I chose to believe a lie about life. Because real life was just much, much too scary. And life goes on. The staggering goes on. The gasping for breath goes on. And enter enter college. Now, I had already had a three-year codependent relationship with a guy I thought was Mr. Right. But we, we both kind of resisted. But I remember right where I was sitting in college when I, when I decided, you know what, this God stuff is a bunch of nonsense. It, it's not real. This God stuff is useless junk. And I, I really climbed around all the barriers at that point that the Lord had put down to keep me from acting out. And I began to act out sexually with the very, very few men, and surprisingly, a, a very few females that could get past my protective barrier, that could somehow get beyond my own guards and get into my heart. Very broken relationships. Those are not healthy relationships. But my drug of choice was men. My drug of choice was men. That's what I wanted. And so in college, I was sitting there, and Mr. Wright wasn't coming around. Okay, it's been going on four years now, and and I have scars from acne, and it was severe in in high school and in early college. I thought, you know what? If I cannot give him a clean face, I'm not going to give him a fat body. And so I decided I was too fat. And I probably weighed about what I do now. And I became bulimic. I found comfort in food. That was my, my drug of choice. I couldn't do alcohol. That has calories. But I can binge and purge. And I can fill myself up and I can empty myself up. I can control this world. And it was, it was an addiction. You cannot control that world. And then after about six months of that, I got sick of starving. And so I became anorexic and eventually went down to 125 and thought, I'm still too fat. I just got to lose five more pounds. And then he'll see he's the right one for me and I'm the right one for him. And it was death. The lowest point right in the middle of all this, went to Ferris State College back before it was university, walking around on a Friday night when everyone's having a great time partying and I was absolutely alone in a dark place in a food binge, wishing I could have the guts to jump off the roof, but I figured I'd probably screw that up too, end up making Christmas cards with my teeth or whatever, so I can't do it. But I desperately, desperately wished I were dead. Graduated, I was the the outstanding student of the year in TV production in my graduating class. But you know what, all that good stuff I could do on the outside, the smiles I had on the outside, it didn't matter in my heart. Because that emptiness was there. The heart was shut down. Big deal. I'm outstanding student of the year. Great. Who cares? I still want to be dead. Things don't matter. Things don't help a broken heart. But we can run after them so much. But there's one thing that did matter. I went on a camping trip. I ended up getting a job. and went on a camping trip for a week before this seminar that this other guy who I had the hots for. And, and I... The, went for a camping trip with him, and then went to this seminar. And he had everybody and their grandma praying. Never underestimate the power 
of praying friends. But he had everybody and their grandma praying. I was hoping something would happen, and something happened all right, but not what I hoped. It was at the end of the week, and this guy, um, this, this guy um, started, started telling me about Jesus. And the first thing I thought is, man, is he nervous? And then the second thing I thought was, you know what, whatever. I want to listen to him and hear what he says. And he began to tell me about God. He began to tell me that, that he used every witness and cliche in the book, which I thought was kind of ridiculous, but I listened anyway. And he told me about God. He told me one thing I couldn't throw out, though. He said, Dan, everybody alive will at one point have to answer to God. At one point, you'll have to say yes or no to God. Dan, I don't know if this is your day. If it is, Dan, what are you going to say? And I was a real deep theologian at that point. I thought, well, you know what? I don't know what will happen if I say, say no to God, but it will be bad. I better say yes. Real deep theology. I, I basically, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, right? So I got saved so I wouldn't have to say no to God. But I didn't get saved right away. I was, I was like any good addict. I thought, you know, if I get saved, all this stuff I'm doing, I can't do anymore. So I'm going to go back home, live it up for three more days, and then get saved. I wasn't a bright guy, but, you know, I came up with the plan. I knew in my heart, if I give my heart to Jesus, homosexuality is done. If I give my heart to Jesus, immorality is done. If I give my heart to Jesus, that, I don't know, I guess I'll just have to clean up my act and go to church. I'm, I'm really glad God didn't tell me the whole story. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with all my might. And instantly, when I prayed that day, I got down on my knees and prayed in my house. Instantly, I was delivered from bulimia and anorexia. Never since then have I ever food binged or, you know, I, I eat like the rest of y'all on Thanksgiving, which is coming up, and I will. But there's a whole lot of difference between eating a Thanksgiving dinner and binging and purging. I thank Jesus, man. And I thought, awesome. This is really awesome because the same-sex attraction stuff I hate my fourth, that'll be gone too. Awesome. And I was devastated because it didn't go away. Wait a minute. I'm going to church every time the doors are open. I got baptized. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying at home. I'm doing all the right things. Man, what's going on? Why isn't this going away? And I dealt with that the same way I dealt with all disappointments in life, right? Well, this is really bumming me out. So even, even God can't fix this part? And that stinks, because we got nowhere else to go. So I'm just going to kill a little bit more of my heart. i, I got to pack it away. And I just got to keep jumping through all the right hoops. Now, look, we need the Christian disciplines. We need Bible reading. We need prayer. We need worship. We need all those things. But if we aren't letting the Holy Spirit into our heart, they have minimal effect. And that was what was going on. Because you know what? Now that I got saved, I know that God's omnipotent. Now that I'm learning about Jesus, I know that he's everywhere and knows everything. Where on earth were you back in the day? And I know I'm not the only one in this room that's ever asked God that question. God, why? Where on earth? How come? But we can't go there either, right? Because we got to be good little Christian boys and girls. And we can't be mad at God, and we got to pack it away. So I packed that away too. And I had the same shell for God that I had for other people. 
No, we're not going there. We don't need to go there. But you know what? God does honor the Christian disciplines, right? We need them. They are critical in our walk. He honors them. So he did do some changing. As much as I would let him into my heart, he would change. And so a couple years after I got saved, I have the blessed privilege of marrying an angel. We're still married today. She has not killed me in my sleep. It's going on 31 years. Whew. I married an angel. And you know what? I found out that marriage doesn't cure sexual brokenness. Marriage doesn't cure a turned-off heart. Marriage, there's no person alive that can make you feel safe enough, whole enough, restored enough, redeemed enough, or comfortable enough to take away trauma. That's something only God can do. But I was sure hoping. And, and, and things happened. We, 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 we started having a family. I started working. God gave me a job at a construction company. And you're talking to this. I'm a guy that takes three trips to go to the Home Depot to get a, a stinking microwave shelf put up. Seriously. Sometimes I change stores so I don't see the same clerks. I, yeah. It's embarrassing. One time I did that, and I still had to go back to the original store anyway. And get, I think I had to get what I took back because I didn't think I needed it and still had to go back. You don't want me working on your house. So anyway, God taught me how to work with men, and, and, and I had some awesome experiences as a Christian working in ministry. That picture is from my first mission trip. To, it went to Guatemala. And all those awesome things I'm doing for Jesus, all these things trying to cut a deal with God, if I do everything I'm supposed to do, God, you will fix me, you will change me according to my plan and according to my schedule, and you will do it how I tell you to do it. But you know what? God's not codependent, and we can't manipulate him. I tried. I tried. And there would be days, hey, Dan, we got to talk about that. No, no, talk to the hand, God, because some of that stuff is still packed up, and even you are not going there. Because if you go there, I'm going to have to talk to the hand. And life goes on. We plow through. We breathe. God does things. Things happen. But I didn't deal with the internal issues. My relationship with my wife did grow. My relationship with my wife did grow. Things happened. But after 35 to 40 years of being bottled up, after 35 to 40 years of not letting God into those dark places, of not even, and not even acknowledging those dark places are there, the noise of my heart just got louder and louder. It got worse and worse. I couldn't do it anymore. I've served you in ministry, God, for about 10 years at that point. I have given up a lot of things for you, God, and I still hate myself. You haven't taken away my sexual attractions towards guys. That stinks. And I know I can't give in to it. I know I can't just run away from it. I can't shake it. But God, I can't fight this anymore. Will you please just kill me? Just take me home. Whatever, my wife, she'll get over it. Just please, God. And my heart was, was dark. I'm an assistant pastor at that point at a different church. I'm working. I could have people crying from the pulpit at different times, but inwardly I was just dead. What was really happening was I, was, I, I, I finally lost my argument with God. See, I would throw scriptures at him. Did you ever try and do that? 
You throw scriptures at God telling them what they mean, forgetting that which is behind and striving toward what is ahead. See, God, that means I don't have to deal with all that junk in my past that some reason you keep telling me to look at. And just throwing those at scripture and and refusing to go there. You know how if you fast, you hear God's voice? There were times where I fasted on purpose to shut them up. Or I, or I overate on purpose. Didn't bench, but I overate on purpose just so I wouldn't hear them. And I wore myself to a frazzle. And one time I, I basically was exhausted emotionally and flopped down on the floor at the other church I was at. And God said, are you ready to talk now? You just got done pushing me away, overeating for about a week or so. You're falling apart at this. Can we talk now? And God would say to me, if you, Dan, I was doing what the Pharisees were doing. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are these which testify of me, but you won't come to me so I can give you life. God was saying, Dan, I have the answers that you're looking for. I have the way to heal your heart you're, you're crying out for, but you need to come to me for that. It's going to happen my way, and you need to surrender, and you need to let me work. I needed to know that Jesus got me. Okay, it's one thing. He, he, was, he was born as a man. He lived, and he was God, so he, he lived a perfect. I need to know that Jesus himself would understand my struggle because if any of you have a struggle and you think you are the only one on the planet that has it, you feel like a space alien. And I felt like a space alien. I needed to know that Jesus Christ got me and heard me. And this verse was beautiful. The high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of gracious God. There will be, we receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I, I, I stopped being afraid of God, and I started being a little bit more honest, just a little bit. Let's see how this goes. We're just, I'm going to open up a little bit of that box and let him in. And this is one of my favorite verses. This is, this is the other of the top two. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. And I have my kids' picture up there with me because, you know, how, how many of you have kids? And you know if they're upset with you, you want them to come to you in the right attitude and talk it out. You love them. You're their parent. You want to fix it. That's what God was saying to me. Reasoning involves disagreement. I don't have to reason with Pastor Steve if we agree on something. But if we disagree, I have to reason with him. I share my case. He shares his case. And we come to an understanding. And that's what the Lord wanted to do with me. Dan, I want to hear your heart. I want to talk about your attitude towards me because I was there and it still happens. I want to answer that, that knowing where are you, God, in your heart and show you where you are. And that began to change everything. By a divine appointment, accidental phone call, I met the guy that used to run my ministry and I finally went through the program. My wife and I had gone to, to, to one of my ministry's programs 10 years earlier thought, wow, what a bunch of losers. They're camping around that mountain. I don't need this. I can do this on my own. Ten years later, I'm gasping for life and sauntering and crawling back into the same ministry. And I finally started going through the program that we have now, Living Waters, and began to be honest. 
began to open up some of those doors, some of those lids, and let God in there. And things did begin to change. So the deeper healing comes after we wrestle with God. I want to share some of those wrestlings. And it ties in again with the book, Journey into the Divided Heart. It kind of helps us see. I showed the falling apart at the seams portion. Now, I wish I could say this was a quick process. It ain't. It's a dry, it goes on, it goes on. It can be agonizing at times. But I'll tell you, I've been going through recovery since 1999. And it is worth every agonizing minute. Because we get to know God's heart. Not who we thought he was, not what we thought he would say. We get to hear his heart of love for us. That truly can answer every single question we have. And the first thing I needed to work through with him was acceptance. Acceptance. Romans chapter 1, acknowledging God as God, that he is God. And so I had to accept that he is God. And I remember one time I was at this seminar, and it's been, it was a really cool weekend seminar. Do you guys, if you know Jack Frost, he came here in 2003-ish, long time ago. Interesting name, but a great ministry for Father's Love. And he was talking about how God loves us, how God's wonderful, and how God knit you together in your mother's womb. And he talked about how joyful God was when he grabbed your father's sperm, and he took it together with your mother's egg put them together, and lovingly place them in your mother's womb. Of all the stinking uteruses you picked, you pick that one, and the volcano blew. Ah, bang! And I hit the ground. And the first thing I thought was, that was really stupid, because my hand hurts. And another wave came by. Ah, and I kicked the ground. And I thought, that was really stupid. I limped for two weeks after that. Because my foot hurts. And I, I couldn't, 35, 40 years of ragers coming, and another one! I thought, they're going to haul me off to that side room they take the people to. But they didn't. They recognized this isn't demonic, this isn't wrong. This is 35 years of pain getting washed in the blood of the Lamb, being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. That went on for 45 minutes. Now, thank Thank God they had somebody come over and just pray over me without words out loud. And it calmed me down. So I wasn't screaming for 45 minutes. I could have. But I was duking it out with God. And I was asking him why. I was telling him, now, Scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. So it doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, when you are angry, don't sin. I was angry. I was ticked. And I was ticked at God. So it was 45 minutes of why, how could you, it's terrible, this, why didn't you save all of these things? And God didn't defend himself. He just listened to me. And in the end, after 45 minutes, like, okay, God, okay, I really don't have anywhere else to go here. So I'm going to surrender. But God, I will tell you that what you chose for me was stupid. Well, back at you, Dan, because the wisdom of, God's, the wisdom of man's foolishness to God. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't defensive at all. He was loving even though that was kind of a snarky comment, he was loving. Okay, God, I surrender. I will accept your choice for the uterus you put me in. And right after I broke in my heart, it was one of those things in, my, in the core of me, I knew I was broken, and I do surrender. God said, Dan, I always raise up Pharaoh 
under the nose. I always raise up Moses under the nose of Pharaoh. And it's one of those times where God says a little sentence and it says volumes. Because I knew, God, I do have a calling. I don't understand why me, seriously. But I do have a calling to help people find freedom. And I knew at that moment, hey, God doesn't make a mom abuse her son. He doesn't program it that way. He doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't violate free will. Even if we wish he would. I was complaining one time, hey, God, I wish you would at least violate free will once on my mom. And he said, Dan, if I violate free will on anyone one time, I'm not a safe God. And again, it was another one of those hearts of love moments from our Savior. But that broke me. And okay, God, I don't like it. I don't understand it. But I'll accept it. And then he began to work in more and more things. God began to restore more and more in my heart. So I want to go through some of those times, the preschool years. Remember the time at the window, I'm not good enough to go to school. Turning off my heart, being abused in the bathtub. And, and, and they don't know what to do with me. And God began to do a work there. The thought of you're not good enough to go to school. I, I, I identify myself for decades, probably into my 40s, as they don't know what to do with me. I'm not good enough. Now, it's not good if you run a ministry and you have to talk to pastors and you feel insecure, not good enough, and they don't know what to do with you. That's where I was at. But it's like, you know what? When we have pain, instead of running from the pain and pretending it, it doesn't exist, I was learning, you know what? I need to take that pain and I need to find somebody safe that I trust and walk with that pain to Jesus, that Jesus can help defuse the bomb that's creating the pain. So we prayed about that. And he gave me a word of knowledge. I was in that very room where the glass was. I was watching my brother get on the school bus. And, and he said, Dan, you weren't too young. You're not good enough to go to school. You were just too young. But we, we needed to talk more. You say that no one knows what to do with you. And he showed me a word of knowledge. It was my mom being pregnant with me and my dad getting yelled at by her. She was raging at him, screaming at him because he had the audacity to make her pregnant. And my dad would get this certain look on his face when he didn't know what to do. He had that look. And I saw my mom's hands like, she's yelling at my dad, going down like, and halfway down here, it's like the Lord let me hear her thoughts. She thought, I don't want to hurt the baby. Right when I heard that from the Holy Spirit, God said, I love you, I wanted you, and I know what to do with you. And from that moment on, I haven't wrestled with, they don't know what to do with me. There's times where I don't know what to do. That's normal. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we need God's wisdom. But it was him. There was other things I needed to work on. Demonic oppression. Remember when my dad was shaving and he looked at me and he said, would you stop bothering me? before I turn into a monster again. Now, as a little kid, my mom's not safe. Dad's the only safe adult in the house, but the last remaining safe adult in the house, I perceived, had just threatened me. Now, I look back. Look, we had five kids, and some of you know my kids. We've had some interesting moments at our house. Now that I have kids, I realize Dad just had a bad hair day and wanted me to shut up and leave him alone so he could shave in peace. And he loved me. But when I, your perception is stronger than reality because that's what we believe reality is. So when I heard him threaten me, I wanted to go away. And this demon decided to help me out. 
Now, look, we're Christians. We cannot be possessed, right? Okay, we're, we're bought by the blood. But we surely can be oppressed by demonic forces. And that thing came up. And during a prayer ministry session, it was kind of like, you know how they slow Matrix down to Matrix bullet time? And you see him, like, ducking bullets? It was kind of like the Holy Spirit slowed down this conversation that I had at that moment with the demonic. You got to go away. You need somebody to keep you safe because dad and mom aren't safe. I'll keep you safe. And this demon of isolation, hey, if you're afraid of people, being isolated seems like the answer, right? Seemed like a good idea at the time. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you protect me. I needed to repent of that. But, you know, we, we know a lot of stuff in our heads, right? We can t- everyone at AA knows how to stop drinking, but not everyone at AA actually does it. So that's what I call in the heart noise, the stuff we know in our head, head knowledge and heart knowledge. And in my heart knowledge, I thought, man, I still need this demon to keep me safe. I still need it. And I'm getting prayer. My, my prayer partner, Robert, is praying for me. Well, let's ask Jesus. Jesus? Dan believes that if he makes this demon of isolation go away, he's going to be hurt. He's going to be in trouble because this thing's protecting him. Jesus, what's your truth? It's kind of one of those times you expect God to say, well, duh. But he didn't because he's gracious. Dan, that thing's not protecting you. You've experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, and it changes everything. It changes your head knowledge and it moves your head knowledge into your heart knowledge. You're like, you're right. I don't need this. So in the name of Jesus, I command this thing to go away. You know what started happening? I began to realize I, I did have some connections as a kid. I had, some, I had four siblings. I, I had a few kid, neighborhood people that cared about me. But when you've got an agreement with an oppressive spirit, it blocks it. And so that goes away. I could realize there are people that care. And God will show me how to be safe. And I needed to deal with that, that shattered heart, that, that closing some of it, the abuse from the bathtub. And I realized one of the things that happened there was just feeling unsafe and shutting down more of my heart. And I prayed and asked Jesus to show me, okay, you were always there. What was going on, Lord? What's your response to me? How do you feel about me as that little kid that just got abused? And I saw the Holy Spirit coming in a word picture like Pastor Steve had here. I saw Jesus coming and picking me up and wrapping me carefully, lovingly in a towel. And his hands were in the right place. And he was loving on me and protecting me, caring for me. And it was a beautiful thing. And then the Lord started to show me, look, Dan, you you were excited. You were a little kid. You had a lot of fun. You loved bath time. And you thought that it was your little boyness, your bubbliness that caused your mom to abuse you. So you shut that down too. And Dan, I'm asking you to let me turn that little boyness back on. I wish I could say it was easy. But when you're convinced it's your bubbliness that got you abused, you want to. And so, but the Lord showed me, no, it is safe to let me turn that back on. I can let you live that again. And you know what's awesome? I mean, these things happen when we were little kids and those strongholds get formed. So when those strongholds get resolved, that stuff plays out in our everyday life. And we, my little boyness came back into adult Dan. I mean, here I am. And I realized after that prayer session, I'm enjoying life a lot more than I used to. I'm still a serious guy, but, you know, all that years of practice. But, but I still, some of that little bubbliness came up. And it is so cool. 
Restored hearts come back to life in your adulthood. Folks, that's why I desperately want you to seek Jesus, to turn your hearts back on in the right way with safe people, right? Don't do this alone. Go to Pastor Ron. Go to, go to, they'll, he'll give you some referrals. Go to people that can help you. So then we got into the school years, the grade school years. You know, I was dealing with rejection, abandonment. You know, the last boy picked after the girls and, and complained. All that abandonment, the enemy wants you alone because you're more vulnerable when you're alone. And Lord, what about that? I'm a loser. I'm a reject. That's what I believe about myself not getting picked. What's your truth? And the Lord showed me, Dan, you're not a loser. You're not a reject. You don't have the sports ability, but you have other skill sets that make you special. You have other skill sets that make you who you are. Thank God for a fourth grade teacher. I don't even remember her name, but she threw me in my first play and realized, hey, he's got some creativity there. We can let him shine here. The kid does stink at sports, but let's let him have fun in theater. And I thank God for her. And the Lord began to show me I do have different skill sets in photography. Man, Pastor Steve, or Pastor Greg, is like the master photographer. I love his stuff on Facebook. That dude is pretty masculine. He's like a man's man. He's a tough guy. And that showed me. I used to to rip on myself because I like photography. What what a, a little cushy guy that likes creative stuff. I'll tell you what, watching Pastor Steve do his awesome work, and he's as tough as he is, or Pastor Greg, that is cool. It's another one of those skill set things that the enemy tries to get you to think the skill sets that are yours from God are bad so that you reject the very core image of God and who he's making you to be. And that was a beautiful thing. Another thing I had to deal with, you know, uh, abuse survivors, we've got to survive somehow. So in addition to turning off our hearts, we try and make the abuse make sense, right? You can't make abuse make sense. There is no logical reason to abuse your child. But we are so desperate to breathe, desperate to get through life. We'll do whatever we can to try and make it make sense. And so we convince ourselves we deserve it. We're just the scuzziest little kid there is. Of course we're being abused. We deserve it. Because now it makes sense. If I'm a terrible kid and I'm abused, of course, well, whatever. And it also gives us a false sense of control, right? Because now all I got to do is just stop being a terrible kid. But we can never achieve that. And so we work on that, and, and, and we, we try and convince ourselves that. And also, I told you that people would tell me, you know, after I was born, mom got worse. And I thought, yeah, I am poisoned. I literally, in the noise of my heart, seriously believed I was poisoned. My very existence poisoned my mom and made her crazy. That was backed up by evidence. Because when I was in, in, in grade school, she'd be in the hospital. My dad would go visit her. They would leave me in the hospital lobby for what seemed like hours upon hours upon hours. God, it's probably like 15 minutes, but when you're a kid, it seems like forever. But that just told me I am not good enough to go even up there to the psych ward. No one's watched. Why, why didn't four siblings watch me at home? Why did a little kid have to sit in the lobby? <laughs> That's easy. Because I'm a terrible little kid. I'm poisoned. I made mom crazy, so of course they don't want me by anybody. The Lord said, we need to talk. And, and my friend Robert was again praying for me. Hey, Dan. Can we ask God what he thinks about that little kid sitting on the couch? You know what I said? No. Why not, Dan? And I was being honest, gut-level honest, because I'm so horrible that if Jesus comes to talk to me, I'm even going to corrupt him. Folks, I believed it. 
in the noise of my heart. I, I, could, I could teach you how God loves you, and he's all, all omnipotent, all powerful. In that spot of my heart, in that brokenness, I believed it. Well, Dan, what, Robert? I knew it was coming. Can we ask God about that part? So we're not asking him to show up yet, but can we at least ask him if he does show up to talk to you? Will you corrupt him? Whatever, go ahead. Jesus, Dan thinks he is so polluted and perverted that if you talk to him, he's going to corrupt you. Video production guy, so God shows me a lot of word pictures. It's just a beautiful thing. It sounds gross, but, but just hear me out because, you know, little kids love blood and guts, right? I could just picture Jesus shredded from being whipped before the cross. And I'm sure the movie The Passion just makes it look far less than it really was. And as I saw the image of Jesus being shredded, he was weaving me in and out of the shreds and of his wounds. And the blood of Jesus Christ was cleansing me of all unrighteousness and delivering me from all the stuff the enemy threw at me. And I realized I was a good little kid. I can let that part of me come back to life too because I'm not poison. I am good. That's what I want for you. Look, that sounds preposterous, right? Some guy's up there saying, you know, in the, in the belief of his heart, he thought he'd make God corrupt. I'm telling you, and I'm so sorry, but some of you understand this. And I encourage you, if you do, talk to Pastor Ron. Talk to me. We're going to have a little bit of prayer time after the service. Don't stay there. The enemy wants to make you feel so ashamed that you even, even have those thoughts. They're real. And we can get healing from them. And we can get resolution from them. And the, the sense of belonging. I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Picked after the girls, all of that. This blew me away. I was at a, a seminar in the Philippines. Part of a team of five people. One of the, two of them were international speakers. Or one's the, the director of Elijah House, which is another healing pyramid, one of the pioneers. All these important people. And I looked at that poster like, here am I. I'm on that. And they heard this story, and they said, Dan, we are so glad you're on our team. We are so glad you're part of us. We want hits. We want hits. Oh, yeah, right, nice cute guy. No, knock it off. We want you, and we're glad you're on this team. That blew me away. I was in tears. That was, that was how this stuff can live out. And, and, and though the, the wounds are from decades ago, we can still carry them. But even decades-old wounds can be healed by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And he brought healing that day in a deep, deep way. Middle school. Middle school years. The inner vow promises. No one will get closer. And God said, Dan, you know, you know that vow you made that no one will get close enough? You need to surrender that. That wasn't easy either. This has been my protection. This is all I've known. It was kind of like, do you want to be made well? If you do, get up off your mat. He was asking me to get off the mat. The only thing I knew, and I did, because he showed me that he would be my protection. He would keep me safe. Some people really aren't safe, but he would keep me safe. And I needed to surrender that. And again, I realized there were people there for me. My brother worked at Segala uh, Steering Gear before it was Delphi. And he arranged this picture, and that's him right there with my dad and my brother-in-law. They were good guys. They poured into me. When my mom was going crazy, my brother would have me live at his house. 
And my brother-in-law would take me away for the day. He would take me swimming. He would do things with me. But when you're living under that, that vow that no one will get close enough, we can't let them in. And as that broke, I have such a love in my heart for them now. They are safe. We can let them in. And that's a beautiful thing. And part of same-sex attraction, homosexuality is trying to fill the void from when I shut my dad out and I didn't get that masculine infilling. And when I wouldn't receive it from my brother-in-law, from my brother, that void, and it gets eroticized, but only God could feel that. And I had to surrender my fantasy world. I had to surrender that, that little, my precious that I'm keeping in my pocket. Those little thoughts we go to to be, to, to be comforted and soothed. Yeah, Lord, I'll surrender those to you. Because you will fill that void in an experiential way, in a real way. And I am part of a group. I can be real. That guy on, on the right, right there, is my prayer partner, Robert. He knows more about me than anybody. And he loves me and cares for me. And we walk to Jesus together. High school years, college years. God did the kitchen scene. I, I thought I was a spineless wonder, a coward. And he showed me, no, no, Dan, your stance. And I wondered, why did I stay? Why didn't I run, run out of the house? He showed me that. And he showed that I was staying there to protect my father. And my father was staying there to protect me. I wasn't a spineless wonder. Now, we would have been like Don Knotts and Tim Conway, you know, trying to stop the bad guys. But we were there for each other. And my dad was there for me. And that meant so much. And I, I, I spent so many years being invisible. Because if you live, up, you live in a house of abuse, you just try and stay invisible so no one sees you. And it's like, God's like, no, Dan... Not only are you not going to be invisible anymore, I'm going to put you as a director of a very politically incorrect ministry that helps people overcome homosexuality, and you get to share your story on a platform. Great. Thanks. Awesome. And it's the Holy Spirit's strength, right? When we are weak, I have no confidence in the flesh. We're strong through all the stuff that God does. And then the high school things. I didn't make the transition to college very well. And I, I, I really turned off a lot of my heart out of terror of moving away, even though it was a crazy house. It's all I knew. And as I let those parts of my heart come back to life, life became more fuller, became richer. My, my love for photography increased. My, my skill level at it increased. I got to do trips to tell people about Jesus. And I had the guts to go back to school and face it with Jesus and survive and do well and conquer what formerly conquered me. And there we have it. Life going on. You know, I wish I could say that was it. But uh, I was doing pretty good for a while. Nice emotional foundation, a lot of healing. And God said, hey, Dan, there, there, there's something we've got to go back to. Uh-oh. Kind of whenever God says, Dan, I know it's going to be a doozy. We've got to go back to middle school. Oh, no, God. We, we've done there a little bit. We've looked at that a little bit, but we're not going here. No, no, Dan. I'm asking you to open that back up. I'm asking you to, to go there with me, with Robert, with another prayer partner that came back on the scene, and we need to go there. No, no, God, I don't want Dan. The poison is in you. If we can go there, we can open up that box, and I can go in there with, your Holy, with my Holy Spirit. I can draw that poison out. And so over a very excruciating period of several weeks. 
God began to do a work in my heart to extract all the strongholds, the lies, and the terror that the enemy put me in there. And I remember at one point saying, you know, God's shards of glass. Yeah, that's my favorite scripture. Thanks for bringing that back up. This isn't shards. This is broken so much. It is powder. He said, Dan, I can even heal powder. And I can restore. As a matter of fact, look at this. This is the spot on my back whereby stripes are specifically for you. So I am healing this part of your heart. And he showed me like a close, I'm not a blood and guts person anymore. He showed me a close-up, like he stuck my face this close to his back to see the shreds. This is for you, Dan. Thank you, Jesus. And then I said, but Robert, this is all well and good. God's cleansing me. But I feel so stinking dirty. And unfortunately, some of you in this room knows what that means. I feel so dirty. I will never be clean even with God. Can we ask him? Yeah. It wasn't that quick. We had a few roadblocks to go around. But yeah, finally we can ask him. Jesus. And I was, at this point, I was laying in my own couch in my own counseling office as this guy's praying for me. He says, Jesus, Dan believes he is so dirty, he will never be clean again. What is your truth? And I could literally feel the presence of the Holy Spirit moving like a bulldozer. It was the coolest thing. Filthy, dirty shame, like real filthy, dirty shame physically, and holy, pure, clean on the other side of the bulldozer line. As the Holy Spirit was cleansing me of all the filth, all the shame, the pain, the self-hatred, the thought of poison, and all those beautiful things that God did for me. The enemy wants us to believe we are filth. The Holy Spirit has made us good and wonderful. And the Holy Spirit can take those things that the enemy meant to destroy you and use them for good. And it's those vulnerable areas, not just me. I'm called to ministry. Not all of you are called to ministry, but you are called to minister. And so you have all been through something. You have all been restored from something. You are all here breathing. The Holy Spirit's working. You can talk to your neighbor. You can talk to your coworker. You can deliver the message. And God's done a work in my heart, and he's calling me to Thailand for six months next year. God willing, I'll be going there to teach these things and to bring life. He is taking these things that the enemy meant to destroy me and using them for good. And I remember after a particularly grueling prayer ministry session, getting healing, it was Bill praying for me at that point. He said, hey, Bill, I want to pray about something. See, my dad was a superintendent in charge of two shops. My brother was a, a, the youngest superintendent that Delphi and Saginaw Stinger ever had. My grandfather on my mom's side was a state congressman. I, wanna, I got leadership in my family. I want to pray that God would, have, would make me the kind of man I would have been if my mother would have never abused me. And Bill was smart. He said, okay, dear God, would you please make me the kind? I can't pray this. Why not, Dan? Because, Bill, I realize now in the core of my being that it's the redemption of all those terrible things that have happened to me that is making me the kind of man that God wants me to be. Totally different than who he originally planned knit me together for, yet even better and greater because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in the broken areas. And that's what he wants for each one of you. 
you all have areas of your heart, maybe more devastation than, than what I've had, maybe less, but it doesn't matter, right? It's your devastation. And I want to pray here as we wrap up. I want to share three scriptures with you, and you guys can come out and start playing if you want to here. I want to share three scriptures with you that really speak to me as well. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And when I think of where I came from and where God's brought me, and looking at my life growing up and looking at that as, yeah, that was disaster, that's not where God wants to leave us. He wants to give you a future and a hope. I'm going to pray for you briefly. If you have to get your kids, go ahead and get your kids. We're almost done. But I'm going to pray for you briefly. That God will, and maybe some of you are already thinking of that particular disaster, and maybe you think there's nothing that could ever convince me that God wants good for me. I want to pray about that right now. So, Lord, as some of us are sensing in our hearts, the core of our gut, this hurt that we have, this devastation that we have, and those times in our lives where we thought it was all over, Lord, would you speak to us there? Speak to us in that place, God, that this thing has convinced us it's going to be another disaster. There's, there's no way I can survive this. Holy Spirit, will you show us? What's your heart towards us in that moment, in that trauma, in that pain? What is your heart for us? And I want you to pause here just for a minute to let the Holy Spirit speak to you.